I'm Isaac Kite, and this is Talking Trauma. This is Episode 3, Awareness of Mental Illness. So we ended uh, in the last episode talking about my early childhood experiences and uh, just the many difficulties that I had in uh, my leading up to my teen years. And now uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what happened afterwards. Might be uh, the main question at this particular stage, and uh, given the episodes that I've made thus far, is how did I manage to make it 20 years before these issues uh, erupted, before I, I really started to have a major problem with trauma? Uh, the fact is, I didn't know that I was traumatized. I didn't understand what PTSD was. I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't understand uh, panic attacks. I just moved on with life. And when I look at it, uh, look back on it from now, hindsight is twenty twenty, I guess, uh, I can see how much I suffered and how much I struggled and how intensely difficult it was to get through all of those years. I think of the the strength I must have had to persevere, to do the things that I did and accomplish what I was able to accomplish in that time, given all of those major mental health setbacks. Uh, As I said, I I try to look at things on the positive side and uh, stay positive about things. And that's about as positive as I can be about it. The the fact is, those were not happy years for my life, although there were happy events in them. And uh, eventually, I would become aware of the trauma and begin treatment. That would lead to uh, more unhappiness, but also to recovery. And recovery is an important part of the journey, since at the end of the day, it is a journey, and you don't ever just arrive at a place in life where you can say, hey, I no longer have PTSD, I'm cured. Uh, It's a miracle. (laughs) Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And you have these symptoms your entire life, uh, one form or another. You just learn to minimize them or understand them or work around them, cope with them, but you can't make them all just vanish. Uh, But let me tell you, it, it sure does help end the cycle of depression or at least reduce the the length of a period of depression by becoming aware of it early and uh, activating yourself and and being more social and doing the things that you need to do to work your way out of it rather than allowing the depression to take over and be the puppet master and kind of run your life. All right, so my teen years. I described in the last episode, uh, I, I talked about how I would pick on other kids defensively and then I described bullying one particular person. And I, I wanted to address what, you know, from listening to the episode in editing, appeared to be a contradiction. Uh, no, I did not generally bully other kids, although I did pick on other kids <clears throat> a lot. In the way that I spoke, again, that was defensive. I thought that I was under attack at all times, so I always spoke defensively to protect myself and make myself feel better I don't want to say at the expense of others, although ultimately that was the effect. I didn't think I was hurting anyone. That was just the way it was. However, by the time I reached uh, 14 and just about to turn 15, I had really grown tired of this. 
everyone else got away with everything. I got in trouble for everything. Everybody else got along somehow, and I was under attack by everyone all the time, and I was frustrated with it. And I think before I, I talk about the, the transformation, I should have noted, I think, that it was that drive to make a change that manifested itself at first negatively, but ultimately led to positive uh, benefit. Uh, so I, I did actually start lashing out. I did start attacking. I did uh, take out my frustrations on a, a couple of people. And in that short space of time, not, I don't know, four, five weeks of my life uh, where I actually did this, uh, obviously with no positive results, I, I was actually uh, a little bit of a bully looking back. Uh, didn't hurt anyone physically. I'm not a, a physically violent person. I've seen from a very young age in my childhood what violence does. And like I, I said, a, a spanking as a discipline method meant nothing to me. So I was never really eager to be violent. Uh, violence I saw as rather a negative thing. Brutish. And in terms of defense, always the last resort. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so there was uh, an incident where I had bullied someone to tears uh, verbally, and uh, seeing the results of it, I, I really didn't like it. It did not leave a, a positive taste in my mouth, and not just because, like I said, uh, other people would bully me all the time and there were no consequences, but of course, the moment that I did it to someone else, I got the third degree. So, uh, you know, that was detention, and uh, I uh, lost out on a student trip and, and a couple of other consequences. Um, but it sent me into a really bad spiral. Uh, I got, I, I was very angry, I was very depressed, I was very upset, anxious, and I had uh, a couple of different panic attacks. I just had a really hard time for this particular weekend. And I remember being at home that weekend, and that's when I, I started to think to myself, uh, maybe, maybe other people re were being affected by my behavior. Maybe the words that I said affected them the way that their words that they said affected me. And that first foray into relativism, I want to say, or the very beginnings of empathy, made it possible for me to reach beyond myself, in essence. So that's when I began to think about how I interacted with other people consciously. And that was a huge change to my life, uh, a major uh, benefit. So at that point, I, I think, my classmates could see in the last month of my eighth grade year, as I had just turned 15, uh, they, I, there were a number of people who noticed a, an appreciable change in my behavior to the point where it was commented upon by a number of people that overtly I, I was no longer hostile to others. I was no longer on the attack, no longer eager to criticize, judge, and place myself above others because I recognized that that sort of prepositioning, that sort of defensive behavior was unnecessary. Again, I realized that I was, you know, that I was picking on them, just like they were picking on me. And things changed pretty immediately. So I was still picked on a little bit. But more often than not, it was by those people that, looking back, as I've said before, I recognized had mental health problems themselves and would go on, I'm sure, to struggle with those after leaving school. So dealing with that was always troublesome. There are always going to be people who are negative and, and kind of on the attack or try to raise themselves up by belittling others. Again, I never 
really wanted to do that intentionally. I did a little bit of it in my own way. In any case, I still had to deal with them, contend with them. But all of a sudden, most of my classmates, most of the people around me, I no longer viewed as hostile. And immediately, they responded to my lack of hostility. And I became more or less uh, a cloistered and sheltered, uh, I want to say socially isolated, but let's just say uh, awkward kid, sort of normal in that sense. So I had a little bit of catching up to do in terms of the maturity of my classmates in some areas, whereas in others, for example, my, my intellect, I was far in advance. I spent most of my more socially isolated years reading books and learning how to learn, learning how to think about things and uh, analyzing, studying. So I put those analytical skills to my social skills a little bit and things began to improve. And that was just the summer where I went into high school. Uh, definitely troubled times. This led to two major effects in my life, one positive and sadly one very negative. I've been kind of setting up here. The positive is I made friends and I learned how to interact with other people and I slowly began to interact more and I began to be less awkward and, and less uh, isolated. But it led also to the negative reality that I was isolated and I was awkward. And that awareness that I was so different from those around me really played to my insecurities. And my, I want to say, diminished sense of self-worth. So, in a way, the isolation I experienced when I was being defensive protected me from the uh, social consequences of PTSD. I didn't feel the insecurity quite as much because everyone was on the attack. And so I just told myself that it was because I was better than them or I was special or smarter or something, some excuse. And I didn't have to deal with the, the fallout, really. I spent my time by myself in my own little world and life was good. Once I became aware of the social difficulties, the distance between myself and others, uh, how immature I was in some areas, how culturally out of contact I was, not having watched the TV shows or listened to the music or uh, had the same cultural experiences that a lot of other children my age had by that time. And of course, heading into high school was a very special time for young people. Uh, an awareness of my lack of skill with the opposite sex and questioning my own sexuality entered into the fray as well. And that, that just as you can imagine, that just it's just a deep well of of, <laughs> of disconcertedness there. So I, I became aware of a lot of those problems and I set out to address them. And uh, in high school, I went to a different town for high school. Uh, the the small town that I was raised in had a middle school and elementary schools, but it did not have a high school. So the high school was in the next town over a larger town, larger city, where uh, there were several high schools, and the nearest one bust uh, the kids from my small town into that one. So here I was, uh, a ninth grader in a fresh social environment with the goods and bads of that. Positive that 
while some of my classmates went with me who knew the former me or knew my reputation or knew of my awkwardness, um, there were also a lot of students that I now was interacting with who did not know, who didn't uh, know of my reputation or my, my prior defensiveness. And so I had a, an opportunity to make new friends. At the same time, I would also encounter new bullies and new problems. The, the kids who were in, the other insecure kids from other schools would uh, uh, come, to, uh, come to be a problem for me. So high school was an experience. There I was, desperate to catch up with my peers, trying to get on a, a, a more level social uh, state. And for the first time in my life, academics ceased to be my priority. Uh, getting good grades, learning, things of that nature, took a back seat to learning social skills and being more social with some positive effects. But again, the insecurities were exacerbated by this whole process. So this is where, as those emotions and, and feelings start to arise in, in the teen years and uh, greater, I want to say, self-awareness, I uh, began to delve into, uh, you know, I began to have more serious depressions as I, I look back now, and I began to suffer uh, mild suicidal ideation and uh, things of that nature from time to time. On the whole, things seemed to be improving and my social skills seemed to be improving and I seemed to be learning and growing. But uh, the torments uh, of uh, the bullies just worse. The uh, fact that I didn't fit in with a lot of different social groups, including the outcast social groups, was especially bad. Uh, and Dealing with making friends, I want to say school friends, uh, acquaintances, and trying to make more uh, than acquaintances with them, trying to be real friends outside of just school, uh, was a very difficult thing, too, because they would tolerate me in certain groups at school, but then I would not be invited to parties or, or out-of-school events. So that, uh, that was a, an interesting struggle. And through my freshman and sophomore years, I really want to say I kind of walked that tight line, that tightrope, uh, walked that line between trying to make more friends and be more social and uh, dealing with these, these really terrible uh, bullies and, and terrible tormenting. And to give an example of this, uh, in my freshman year, uh, I can't remember exactly how it started, but somebody threw a paper wad at me in my English class. The English teacher, uh, I think, had a bladder problem now that I look back. Uh, she kept coming and going from the class and leaving the class for a few minutes at a time. And during these brief interludes, uh, the, the kids would start to chatter and, instead of writing and doing their assignments, and of course, trouble would ensue. And so during these unsupervised moments, somebody threw a, a paper wad at my head and uh, they, they thought it amusing that I didn't feel like responding to it. In Insecure, I just took a lot of abuse. Uh, but also, I didn't feel like violence was justified. I was certainly angry enough, and if I had chosen to become violent, knowing the, the way that that goes, when, when you become violent during a panic attack, it, it's extremely terrifying. <laughs> 
kids might have been found themselves in, in a great deal of trouble. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, and one of the reasons they seemed to think it was funny to pick on me is that as a an over six foot tall uh, kid who was big and, and relatively physically strong, that I wouldn't respond seemed to amuse them. That that kids half my size were throwing paper wads at me, and I didn't want to do anything about it. I didn't understand my strength. I didn't see that I could use it. I didn't have the kind of attitude to protect myself. Eventually, paper wads were upgraded to rocks wrapped in paper and, and a number of other things. Uh, I even got a, a thick, heavy coat that I wore with a big uh, collar on it that would uh, protect me from some of these, shield me from some of these projectiles. This actually carried on into my sophomore year, and uh, I'll never forget uh, a couple of kids in the class who were telling the bullies to cut it out. They, they stood, up, stood up for me. And then one particular exchange, they'd throw in a piece of paper, and one of the, the kids, a, a, an athletic young man, I guess you could say a jock, you know, stood up from his dad. He said, stop it. And they said, why? He's not going to do anything. And the guy said, I'm going to do something. You guys are being childish. And I thought that was uh, a valuable thing. So I just want to take a moment that when you see somebody who's being abused, you know, it doesn't take much to help them. When they're being tormented, just say something. Just stand up in a moment and be like, "Hey, you're being childish. Grow up." And uh, that uh, that I very much appreciated. And I, I really wish I had uh, thanked that person in the time that, that that happened. But I was too embarrassed and too insecure to do anything about it. However, uh, the, that time early in my sophomore year really. That, that torment really cemented this idea that I was just going to be awkward and, and unpopular and weird all the way through. And I guess uh, I began to suffer some pretty serious depression from it. And I had a couple of friends that I could hang out with who were not great friends. Uh, they, I want to say fair weather friends. While things were, while the going was good, they would hang around and we'd chit chat and that kind of thing. But they certainly wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't defend me or protect me. Uh, they were just, you know, hangers-on, other fellow outcasts, I guess you could say. So that's where I was. Uh, I began to make some friends. I began to uh, grow in the latter half of my sophomore year after that, uh, the, the bullying and the tormenting stopped in that particular instance. Uh, so I, I was trying really hard to figure out how to navigate, you know, these social problems and how to get out of them. I spent the next 20 years really struggling with a lot of these things. Eventually, by my junior year, I felt like I had made a lot of progress and uh, had a couple of short two-week stints with uh, quote-unquote girlfriends, as I guess you could say high school goes. I'll talk more about sexuality and its complexities later. Uh, now, these were high school relationships, so at the most, you know, uh, hugging, kissing, that kind of thing. Uh, now, I, I'm aware that there were there are those who do a lot more in high school. I was never really slick or suave enough uh, to get that far, but also I have a lot of anxiety about that particular topic, and so um, sexual behavior did not come easily. Uh, no, no pun intended. Anyway, the the situation seemed to have improved, and so I, I kind of found myself in this zone 
for the rest of my life, uh, for the next 20 years, I guess you could say, where uh, I seemed to do well enough to get by. So I, I didn't really feel like I was impaired in any way or, or really uh, prevented from living or succeeding, even though I certainly was. But um, at the same time, I was awkward and different and not quite uh, up to everyone else's social level. That space really defined the, the period from there until I had my breakdown and, and began seeking treatment in midlife. Uh, that's, that's where I was, awkward, uh, struggling with panic, depression, anxiety, things of that nature, but not really aware that PTSD was the problem. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about what that looked like in other episodes. The reason I want to relate some of these things is that as you enter the process of treatment that I talked about in the previous episode, how do you recognize when you're mentally ill and, and need treatment? Uh, that as you enter the process, there are going to be some goods and some bads. Uh, the positive uh, in as I began treatment was seeing progress, knowing that other people had been treated for the same thing and feeling better that I had, you know, looking back, done so much while struggling with uh, so many problems. But I also, again, in treatment, became uh, aware of the, the distance I had between where I wanted to be, uh, that I had all of these problems to deal with and, and uh, recover from and, and stuff like that. So it, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot you're going to have to handle all at once. And the key is to be patient with yourself. Give yourself permission to be mentally ill. And that may sound ridiculous, but allow me to explain. Uh, I look back on those times in my life, in my teen years, where I really struggled with all of this stuff. And I think of the anger I felt at people, the isolation, um, the things that I did, the, the different social groups I tried to work my way into, things of that nature. And I have a lot of negative feelings looking back on it. Because at the time, I, I really didn't, like a lot of the way I was treated, and I didn't like that uh, that time. But I also have to learn to be patient with myself. I obviously did not know of my condition at the time. I didn't know what I needed to do to get treatment. I didn't understand why I was doing the things I was doing and why I was so awkward. But looking back, I didn't do anything especially terrible with it. I, I did have some fun. I didn't really hurt anyone, and I started learning about myself, and, and there were some positive times there. I do wish I had had the ability to acknowledge my weak, my weakness. It, it was, it was just, I was so eager to get on with life and start my career and, and all of that that I didn't stop to think maybe I needed more time to grow up. Maybe I needed to. Uh, address some of these issues before I went off to go start my life. And so I, at the end of high school, signed up to join the Navy and go to boot camp, uh, thinking that, like the, the family tradition before me, I would start my career off with at least a, a few years of military service on submarines, no less. Uh, and that uh, did not turn out all that well, sadly, but I really wanted to wear the uniform. So... Um, 
that just shows, I think, that cognitive dissonance, that distance between where I really was socially, what I could handle, what I was ready for, and where I thought I was, who I thought I was, and what I thought I was ready to handle. And that, that distance is a, is a real problem. This is where I think a lot of people who enter treatment really struggle at first, is seeing the distance, seeing how it's impacted your life and the problems it's created. Because usually when people enter mental health treatment, as I did, you, you have a lot going on at that particular time and you have some immediate crises you have to face. Uh, some people will, it'll be a moment where uh, some kind of substance abuse has caught up with them and they've gotten themselves, themselves into some trouble or child welfare has become involved in their life or you've somehow something bad enough has happened that it has forced you to acknowledge that there is a problem something of that nature and you're just going to have this overwhelming moment of oh my god you know i have to get from here to there but just be patient with yourself it's okay to be mentally ill it's not anyone's fault that any individual person's fault that they are mentally ill i didn't choose to be abused i didn't choose to be traumatized it's a it's a something that happened in my brain when events happened to me as a child. So I can't control it. I didn't want to be this way, and believe me, if I had a choice, uh, I would have chosen something else. But uh, here it is, and this is part of who I am. And I have to be patient with that, and I have to be fine with it. And you can be too. The fact is, or the person, if you're trying to help someone who's struggling with trauma, uh, this is this is where... This is, this is one of the more difficult things to do. But be patient with yourself. Give yourself permission to struggle. Give yourself permission to be mentally ill, to, be diff to have these difficulties, uh, to need help. And be, don't be afraid to ask for it when you need it. So with that, I will conclude thus. Uh, the, the path to treatment is the most important thing you'll ever do for yourself. It'll be difficult. It's going to be a long journey. It'll never really arrive at a destination. It never really ends. You don't just wake up one day and, you know, oh, I'm cured. But it will really help improve your life to be aware of it. So make this a beautiful life.